1: afternoon and welcome to Sol to solve It's a good mood to everybody. Today is Cholom Sukkot, as we all know. And Sukkot is a beautiful Chag, such a rich Chag, with such tremendous power and, and beauty, um, and an opportunity for us to connect to Hashem and to spirituality in a very deep and a very penetrating way. Um, unfortunately, our weather has been a little bit... uh a little bit non-conducive to the sukkah. We've had quite a lot of rain and it's a little bit chilly to be in the sukkah. But nonetheless, we make the most of what we have and uh, we uh, try and spend as much time as possible in sukkah. The halacha is that we're supposed to do everything in the sukkah. In fact, eat, drink, sleep in the sukkah is what we're required to do over this week of Sukkot. Many beautiful and deep reasons for that. And they're very powerful spiritual lessons we're supposed to take from the Um the yomim tovim within Judaism are not just simply a historical commemoration of an event, a anniversary or a um, independence, but rather they are very deep spiritual opportunities. Uh, the Ramchal explains that the calendar of the year is uh, the year is not uh, single dimensional, but rather it's like a like a Sphere the world, And it, it goes up each year So each year that we find ourselves in the same time period And we're going through a Chag So we've got an opportunity to grow And to climb that spiral um, that the year presents us with So the spiritual energies that brought about the events That we are remembering, like Sukkot, so We are remembering that the Jewish people came out of Mitzrayim And they were in Sukkot Mamish They were actually in these booths in the desert and they were un- ananae covered, there were the clouds of glory that surrounded them on all sides, top and bottom. So the power, um, the, the events that brought about those situations, those energies repeat themselves every year and are therefore present right now and enable us to, um, to connect to those same energies right now um, more than 3,000 years later. So the energy of Sukkot is a time of great closeness to Hashem, a time of Hashem's embrace. The Sukkot represents Hashem's embrace, and we leave the safety and security of our homes, and we enter into this vulnerable, exposed, flimsy structure called the Sukkot. But we do so with great joy. Uh, Sukkot is the time of our joy, and we do so with great happiness, great confidence, that we're ashrina, we're under the protection of Hashem. That we sit in the zila de mehemnusa, the shade of faith, the shade of the sukkah, is the representation of Hashem's presence covering over us and protecting us. And we know that our real security, and our real safety, and our real permanence comes from our connection to Hashem, and not, not from our material success and our material wealth. ...and our material comfort. That's a very powerful symbolic act of what the sukkah is. And the reason why it's now, at this time of year... ...is because we've had the Yomim Noraim, We've had the incredible Yomim Toivim of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And at that time we are re-forging our connection with the creator of the universe, with Hashem. We are in Rosh Hashanah, we crown Hashem as king. We return to the consciousness that there's a master of the universe and that there's a king of the world, and we are not the king of the world, but Hashem is king of the world. And then for the 10 days of Sersimachua, we return to Hashem, and try and um, clean up our own spiritual camp, and do chuva and rectify those, uh, those damaging and uh, spiritually uh, harmful behaviors that we have in our lives. Yom Kippur is a powerful day of wipe, wiping the slate clean, so once we've been through those 10 days, which are, Svarim say, are Chuvashil Yira, we re-, um, remind ourselves of the awesomeness and power of Hashem, and we reinstill that as the core of our being, the center of our lives. And then Sukkah's, five days later, now shifts, or the, the, the uh, first 10 days of Tishrei are Chuvashil Yira, and the last 10 days of Tishrei are Chuvashil ava. We now revel in the closeness to Hashem. We enter into that sukkah and we feel Hashem's love and Hashem's closeness and Hashem's unconditional acceptance of us. And we are, a bring, that's the greatest source of joy that is possible in the world. And um, it's actually, um, a very interesting difference between Judaism and what we learn in Western society. The, the Torah tells us, uh, which is God's word. God te- teaches us that through a connection to spirituality, through a connection to eternity. So that's the source of all joy. And that's why Sukhas Isman Simchasen, when we leave the permanence of our homes and the comfort of our material world, and we enter into a spiritual realm, so that's the source of all joy and of all happiness. And that's why Sukkos Isman Simchasen is the time of our joy. Because in the Western world, we are taught and we are shown that um We have to pursue those, um, those definitions of success. And only with that will we reach happiness if we're wealthy, if we're beautiful, if we preserve our youth. So those are the pathways to happiness in this world. That's what Western society tells us all the time in every, you know, we're getting that constantly from the world of advertising, from the world of Hollywood, from the world of Netflix. Um, that's what, that's the message is you've got to be beautiful. You've got to be wealthy. And that is the, uh, Pathway to happiness in this world But Judaism tells us differently Judaism tells us that Our um, purpose In life is to be spiritual beings And to connect to Hashem And to connect to eternity And that is the pathway To happiness and joy And it's interesting that we see those that see, Are on the top of the ladder in western society And those that have seemed to be The most successful With the the, the most amount of fame And the most amount of money um, like the pop stars or like the movie stars They actually are the unhappiest people in the world Because they th- their life is very superficial There's very little substance in their world And um, they sense that, they feel that And, and th- many of them are dying of drug overdoses Because they have no I- I saw I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan um, I love Bruce Springsteen And I saw an interview with him And he said when he first hit success Obviously the road to success for any artist or any actor or any business person is a long, hard journey with a lot of hard work. But um, the Bruce Springsteen said, after a decade of giving his uh, his heart and soul to his music, he finally hit the big time, um, after much blood, sweat, and tears. And he said, and when he did so, it was the biggest letdown of his life, because his whole life he thought once I'm successful and once I make it, I'm going to be happy. But he realized that he was the same person. And he was just as unhappy as he was before, but just now he was, the only difference is he was famous and he had money, but he was still just as unhappy. And so, um, his life has been a long journey of finding fulfillment and happiness. So in Judaism, we know that the, the Torah and spirituality connecting to God is the source of all joy, it gives us meaning, it gives us purpose. It gives us a sense of understanding, it gives us an existential goal in this world that we know what we're supposed to be doing and we try and, and work hard to get there and then it gives us a tremendous sense of fulfillment. So by leaving our home and going to the sukkah and connecting with God in eternity, that is the greatest joy. And that's why sukkah is once and Chassainu. And it is a time of tremendous joy and happiness and connection with spirituality. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our
0: Sages with Rabbi Danny Sachstein on 101.9 High FM.
1: We're discussing Cholomu'ed Sukkot and this beautiful festival of Sukkot that we're in the middle of. Um, today is the third day of Cholomoyd. Um, and then uh, tomorrow and Friday are the last days of Cholom Weid, and then we have Shmini Atzeres and Simchastor, Friday being Hoshana Rabbah. So we're in the middle of beautiful, wonderful, special times of joy and celebration within the Jewish people. Today is also a significant day, because today is the 19th of Tishrei, the 19th of the month of Tishrei, and today is the site of the Vulner The Vulner Goen... Um, that's the 223rd Yotzat of the Vulnagorn. Uh, the Vulnagorn, Rav, um, he, he was a, a great rabbi in Lithuania. Rav Ilya Kramer was his name. He was born in 1720. He died in 1797 on this day, the 19th of Tishrei. And of course, the Goen is dear to, um, all of us here in South Africa, the South African Jewish community. Because uh, we are over 90% Litvaks, our heritage, we come from Lithuania. And our roots are in Lithuania. And the Vilna Goen was the great genius of Vilna of Lithuania. He was the shining light of Torah Jury in the 18th century. A person of tremendous genius and tremendous, um, almost uh, you know, beyond normal, uh, supernatural gifts that he was given. The Goan was probably the, the greatest rabbi in the last 500 years. Um, he had a phenomenal photographic memory. At the age of three, he knew the entire Torah Bahat. At the age of seven, he knew a number of mesechtas, um, of tractates of Talmud Bahot. Um The legend says he could make a golem at the age of 12. Um, we don't know if that's true, but he was a person who was just Uh, From another era That's why it's called the Vulna Goon The Goonim were a few centuries earlier But he had the same attributes And the same gifts as the Goonim Which were hundreds of years earlier Um, He was just beyond anybody else Of his time Um, A tremendous genius He slept for two hours a day He wrote commentaries On uh, the Torah On the Gemara The Talmud On um, the Shulchan Aruch He wrote various Kabbalistic works and uh, he was also on the side A renowned mathematician and astronomer um, And a person of, of tremendous genius And who had a huge impact On the Jewish world um, Last year I went to Lithuania together with my wife and my Parents and a number of wonderful South Africans, we went with Rabbi Pesach Kron to Poland and Lithuania And we went to the Kever, to the graveside Of the Volnogon. Um he's his uh, kever is still intact in Vilna And uh, he actually Vilna Gond, In 1783 wanted to try And get to Eretz Israel um, For reasons that we don't know He never made it He came back to Vilna But he inspired uh, a number of his students To go to Eretz Israel In 1809 a group of 70 students Of the Vilna Gond arrived in Yerushalayim And they were the, really the founders Of the Ashkenazi community In Israel, in modern day Israel And uh, many of the oldest families in Yerushalayim trace their lineage back to these students of the Von der Goen, these 70 students who arrived in 1809. Um, so it's really quite difficult to describe the genius and the greatness of the Goan because he was just somebody who was beyond anything that his age had ever seen, and somebody who had come from great and previous generations. But I'll try and, and do so um, and do honor to the neshama of the Holy Vilna Goen, Rabbi, Lial, Rabbi Lial Kramer. Um, I, I want to share with you some stories that maybe will illustrate to us what kind of the caliber of human being that he was, the genius and the holy person that he was. Um, Vigun, there was an incident where a young Jewish lady got married to a man and soon in Vilna, and soon after the wedding, this man disappeared. He ran away. He left town and nobody knew where he went, and nobody heard from him, and this poor lady was now, nobody knew where her husband was, she was an aguna, because um, her husband wasn't there, so she wasn't divorced, and she wasn't a widow, so she couldn't get remarried until they had evidence that the husband had died, or the husband divorced her, so she was in a very difficult position, and then after uh, a number of years, more than a decade, so this, a person came back to Vilna, and he said that he was the husband of this woman. And um, the woman met this man, and uh, she said, this is not my husband. And he said, no, I am your husband, just that when I left, I was newly married, I didn't have a beard, and now I've got a beard, so you don't recognize me, I'm your husband. And so they asked him a number of questions, and he knew all the answers. He knew the answers about... Um he's, this woman he claimed to be his wife and about her family and about, you know, their history together. He seemed to answer all the questions comfortably. But she was adamant that this was not her husband. And so she went to the base dean in Vilna and said, this man is not my husband. He seems to a- know all the answers, but he's definitely not my husband. But they didn't know what to do, the base dean. And they went to the Vilna Gorn. And the Vilna Gorn gave them advice. He said to them, um, this man who seems to have all the answers, take him to the shul where his father-in-law davens. Together with this person, he claims is his father-in-law. And let his father-in-law get distracted as they walk into the shul. And see where he goes to sit. If he goes to sit in the seat of his father-in-law, so then we know he is the husband. If he doesn't go to that seat, but goes to another seat, so we know he's not the husband, and he's posing to be the husband... And he's a chakra and he's a liar. Um, and so that's just what they did. Um, they took, he went to the shul with his father-in-law. His father-in-law got distracted as he got in and this man went to go sit down, but he didn't sit in the seat of his father-in-law. Now, obviously a chosan always sits with his father-in-law and he knows where his father-in-law, father-in-law's makum kavua um, permanent seat is in the shul. And so he, um, so, so this man didn't know that. And obviously then they said to him, well, you're a liar. You've in the wrong place and everything else. You, you're posing to your husband. You're not the husband. And he, they, he eventually confessed and he said, yeah, it's true. I'm not the husband and I met this woman's husband and I got all the information from him and, uh, I, I've been lying. So they went to the god and they said, how did you know? How did you know that this would be the way to expose the person and to show that he wasn't the, the, the real legitimate husband? And the god said, because this person, is a. if he's a liar, he would have asked all the questions, got all the information, but he wouldn't have thought of the Varangship of Kedusha. A liar doesn't think of holy things. He only thinks of non-holy things. So he would have got all the information necessary that he thought was necessary uh, in order to be able to answer the questions. But it wouldn't have crossed his mind um, these areas in which holiness would come at play. And therefore, he wouldn't know where his father would sit. He, it wouldn't, he wouldn't have thought of asking that question. So you see how the, the genius of the and how he entered into the mind of a, of a person who was a liar of a shakran, and he worked out what the person would have covered and what he wouldn't have covered. So just a, a, an illustration of uh, the great genius of the Vilna Goan. Um, there's another amazing story about him as well. Um, all of these stories are from Ravakram actually at his kever last year, a year ago, at the um, grave of the Vilna So uh, there was a, a case in Bastion in Vilna in which there were two people, um, two guys came in and they accused a certain guy of, um, they made a claim against a certain person, and they said that that person owed them a lot of money. And uh, so the halacha is that the Bastion is supposed to um, interrogate and cross-examine each one on their own, and see if their t- if their stories sync. Now, if you've got two eidim, so that establishes something in the Jewish law. Al pishneim eidim yakum davir, The the testimony of two witnesses establishes a matter. And they, that would then, if these two witnesses were in sync and were found to be legitimate by the bastein, so then um, the bastein would require this person um, to pay out these two individuals. And so these two were exactly in sync. But they were so in sync that they even used the same words. They were like they had rehearsed it um, so well that they both said exactly the same thing with regards to what their claim was. And so it seemed to be very fishy. It seemed to be very suspect. But they basically didn't know what to do because, in fact, they both were giving the testimony. And it seemed to be in an accurate way, but it was a little bit too accurate, a little bit too too much in sync. And so they went to the Goan to ask him what they should do. And the Goan said, the answer is, Example, he says, um, and and he so he, he firstly he brought they both gave their testimony to the goan, and he heard what their claims were, and he then said to the Basin it's a mishnah in Sanhedrin, mem amud aleph, of tractate Sanhedrin, that the the mishnah says how im nimsa the the mishnah says that you should uh, check out. Each of these two, uh, or each of the witnesses, at the time when you're doing your investigations, if you find that their words are uh, parallel to one another, or in sync with one another, so then that would be a valid testimony. So the Gohan says, it says, im If you find, you need to go out and see and ask him the questions and, and see if they match up with one another. But if they are forthcoming themselves, you, uh, there's no nimsa over here. They both are, are, are voluntarily giving you exactly the same uh, evidence without you even asking the questions. So that shows that, that you can't uh, base the case on their testimony because then the word nimsa in the Mishnah would be superfluous. The word nimsa means that you've got to draw it out of them, not that they uh, give it to you voluntarily without you even asking the questions. So he says, we learn directly from the Mishnah that such a situation is um, not sufficient to get the money, f- to get the other individual to pay what they claim is owed, and therefore their case is thrown out of court. So we just see the incredible genius of this person, that on the spot he knew, you know, the whole Talmud, and he knew how to apply it, and he could. Uh, he, he had such common sense that he saw the depth of the Torah in the life of human beings and in of situations that he faced. Um, the Volhynian instruments thing. We, we generally, in the Ashkenazi community, certainly here in South Africa, um, since we are Litvaks and and our base in is is based on the Minhagim of Lita, we generally follow the Volhynian. We follow many many Minhagim and many customs of the Vulnugan. Um And so I want to share one with you, which is an interesting one, and quite a practical one. And I'm sure many of our listeners will find this uh, fascinating. And that is, there's a beautiful custom that we have um, within Kval Yisrael, is that we bless our children on a Friday night. So we come home from Shul, and we sing Shalom Aleichem, the beautiful song Shalom Aleichem, we welcome the angels. Gomorrah says, because we come home from Shul, we are accompanied by two malachim, by two angels, and if they find the house is clean, and is ready for Shabbos, and is dignified and holy, in honor of the Shabbos, so the one angel says to the other, the good angel says to the bad angel, "Should be the same next week, and the bad angel says, Omein. but if the house is about a gun and a mess, and nothing's ready for Shabbos, so then the bad one says the good one, says same should be next week, and the other one says, Omein. and we welcome those angels, that's what we sing, Shalom Aleichem, Boachim the Shalom, um, come in peace, welcome, we say welcome in peace, we say come in peace, we say Baruchunin the Shalom, bless us in peace, face the Shalom, go in peace, so that's the Shalom Aleichem, then we sing Eish Yisrael, which is really a tribute to the Jewish woman, who is the mainstay and centerpiece of the home, and who runs the home, and we show her gratitude and appreciation for all the hard work in preparing the Shabbos, and in making the home beautiful and ready for the 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 Holy Shabbos. Um, And then we bless our children. And it's uh, the reason why we bless our children on Friday night is because we are filled with the holiness and the sanctity of Hashem's special day, Shabbos Kodesh, and we want to now channel the holiness of Hashem's special day to our children. And we want that holiness to be a part of them and to uh, lift them and to make an impression upon them. And therefore we bless our children with a traditional blessing for boys and for girls, which you one can find in the Sidur. Says the Goan, when you make that blessing, you shouldn't put, we usually put our hands on the head of our children. The Goan says you shouldn't put two hands on the head. Because he says only the Kohanim bless with two hands. We should only put one hand on the head of our children. The right hand. The right hand is always dominant in Judaism. So once you put one's right hand on the head of the child, even if you're a left-hander, you should also put your right hand on your child. So it's a it's an important minag that the Goan points out. And I've seen many, many people, you know, are not aware of this. And that is don't put your two hands on your children's head when you bless them on Friday night, but rather put your right hand, one single hand, because unless you're a coin, If you're a coin you could put two hands, but if you're not a coin, you should only put one hand. That's an interesting point. And minag of the Volna And one more story I want to share with you. About the Vilna Goen, it's really, it's, it's very fascinating. It's about his great Talmud, Rabchaim of Volozhen. Now, um, we could talk all about the yeshivas and the yeshiva movement that was started by the Talmud, by the student of the Goen, Reb Chaim Volozhen. The Goen told Reb Chaim that times were changing in the 18th century within Eastern Europe. And he said, we now, uh, up until then, um, the way Jewish education worked is that there was a cheder in every town and the um, the Every uh, boy went to cheder until Bar Mitzvah And then from Bar Mitzvah only the outstanding Students would stay on and be taught by the Rob of that town and would become Talmud of Chachamin. but the vast majority Of kids would leave the cheder After Bar Mitzvah and would already uh, Go into work and help their Family earn a living uh, The Goan said that things were changing and he said To his Talmud of Chaim of Elohim that we need To um, set up in, uh, Torah institutions of learning, educational institutions for the Jewish people of Kla Israel, and that's going to be the mainstay and the means for which to um, ensure that this future, um, that the Torah will remain alive in Klal Israel, and that we will continue to produce Talmud Chachamim. That the old system was was becoming obsolete, and Torah institutions were necessary. And so Reb Chaim, after the, the death of the Gun, the Goan, as we said, died in 1797, Reb Chaim set up the Voloshan Yeshiva in 1892, just after the death of his Rebbe. But his Rebbe had instructed him to do so. And that was the mother of all Yeshivas, all the Yeshivas that uh, uh, was, uh was in operation for almost a century, and it produced the, the greatest minds. Of the Jewish world came to learn in Vilozhn because in those times Jews couldn't go to university, so the only real place for a a, a intellectually capable young Jewish person was in Vilozhn yeshiva. So, so actually there were quite large um, and and different levels of observance of the students that came. It wasn't easy to get in, which is a whole discussion in and of itself how people got into Vilozhn. But if somebody was smart and if they had connections, they could get in. And sometimes the Talmidim and Velozhin weren't that uh, from. In other words, they weren't on a high spiritual level, but they were on a very high intellectual level. But anyway, Velozhin was very successful at producing the leaders for the next generation of Klaistron and did so for a century. And all of the great yeshivas that opened up in the 18th century in Lithuania um, were the founders of those yeshivas learned in Velozhin. So it was the mother of the yeshivas and it spawned a number of other outstanding yeshivas. And all the great yeshivas we have today um, have their roots in Velozhin, which is from the Goen instructed to his Talmud, Rav Chaim So we're going to take a short break, we're going to add break now, but when we come back I'll tell you an incredible story about Rav Chaim
0: This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM.
1: We've been talking about the great and the holy Vilna Goen, the leader of Lithuanian Jewry Of whom most of us in South Africa Are descendants And um, today is the Yotzat Of the Vilna Goen, it is the 203rd Yotzat Of Rav Eliyahu Kramer of Vilna The great Goen of Vilna And his Talmud was Rav Chaim Volozhin, Who set up the Velozhin Yeshiva Which spawned all the other great Yeshivas That we saw in the um, 19th and 20th centuries Within the Jewish world And um, amazing story about Rechaim. would there was a certain bridge, and um, there was a story that happened um, that a mother was walking with her daughter on this bridge, a little girl. And somehow the daughter slipped and fell off the bridge and fell into the freezing cold water below. We know uh, the winters in Eastern Europe are absolutely freezing. And the uh, people ran to the river and got the child out, and the child was freezing to death, and they ran to a home there was nearby and there was a fire burning and they tried to warm the child by the fire and in doing so they burnt the feet of the child. So although they saved the child and, and warmed the child, the child's feet got singed. Um, that child grew up and had a child and that child that the, the that girl had was the Vulner Goan. That was the mother of the Vulner Gohan. And so when Rebbe Chaim the Talmud of the Goan, would go, to, would see that bridge, would go past that bridge, he would always say a bracha, Baruch she'asa l'i neis It has to be, uh, to say the bracha, it has to be more than twenty day, 30 days. Um, so you can't be within 30 days, but then you would say the bracha. So he always would say, Baruch she'asa l'i neis a blessed is the one who made for me a miracle at this place. So if, you, if something happened to you, something miraculous happened to you, you were saved from something, whenever you go to that place, you should say this blessing, Baruch She'asa li nas, blessed is Hashem, who made a nace for me in this place. So why the question is, why did Rebbe Chaim say, that blessed is the one who made a miracle for me in this place? It should be, because if you're a Talmud, you're supposed to say that blessing if a miracle happened to your Rebbe. So it really should be, Baruch She'asa, nes. Why do you say Li? So there was always a question people asked about Reb Chaim, and Rasul Shlomo Zahman Albach, Zatzal, he answered the question. Rasulomo Zahman said that because the Vulnagun changed the life of, um of Reb Chaim of of his Talmud to such a degree that he, he transformed his life. He gave him a different life. Um so he felt that it was, the miracle happened to him, because the fact that the Volnogon's mother was saved here, and she gave birth to von the and The Volnogon had the influence on him like he did. It was like a miracle happened to me, because my life was so transformed by the Goon, by such a holy, great person, the Volnogon. Okay, so let's finish off just with some brief words about the end of this process of Sukkos. Um We're coming up on Thursday night, Friday, so Hoshana Rabbah, and then we have Shmini um, Yatseris and Simchas So Hoshana Rabbah is an interesting day. Today, when we take the Aravos. So, usually, throughout Sukkot, we take the Araba, meaning the four species. But on, um, um, Hoshana Rabba, we do take the four species, but then we put down the four species and we pick up a bundle of Aravos. And the Chazalt call it the Yom Ha'Arava, the day of the Arava. Why is it called the day of the Arava? So, there's a very beautiful, um, a very beautiful, um, explanation of the Svas Emes. I heard this from Rabbi Elephant. The Sfas Emes says, now, why is it called Yoma Arava? Because the, um, the Arava, we know the Arba meaning the four species, they represent four different types of Jews. So the four species are the Lulav and the Etrog and the Hadas and the Arava. Now, the Lulav comes from a date palm, a palm tree. And the date palm produces fruits. And those fruits don't have a smell, but they have a taste. And the taste of the fruit represents a person who has Torah but doesn't have Masim Toy. A Jew has Torah not Masim Tovim, not good deeds. And the Hadasim, the the is the myrtle branch, has a beautiful smell. And that represents a Jew who has Masim Tovim but not Torah. So they have the smell but they don't have the fruit. They don't have the substance. Um, and the etrog has both the taste and the smell. So it represents a Jew who has Torah and Masim Tovim. And the Arava, the Willow branch, has neither. Neither taste nor smell, doesn't produce any fruit. And it doesn't have a smell. And so it represents a Jew who has neither Torah nor Masim Toivim. That's the Arava. So the, the day of Hoshana Rabbah, Thursday night Friday, which means the great Hoshana, um, usually we go down around the, the, the um, Bima once. They went around the Mizbeach and the Basin Mikdash once every day. But on the Hoshana Rabbah, they went around seven times. And so we go around. Now, since we have COVID restrictions, only the Shleach Tibur goes around. But he goes around uh, seven times on Hoshana Rabba, and we take the uh, Araba branch. And the Sasev says the reason why is because this day of Hoshana Rabba is the end of the din, is the end of the judgment process that has been taking place. We know it started on Rosh it was sealed on the of Yom Kippur, that's when the gates closed. But the emissaries, the way the Chassam Sofi explains it, is that the emissaries of the court only go out on Hoshana Rabba. In other words, the verdict has been reached on Yom Kippur. But the, the emissaries are only sent to carry out the verdict on Hoshana Rabba. So there's still a chance that they won't be sent if we, uh, omitaken, if we do tshuva up until Hoshana Rabba. And so the Emes so says that Hashem, that's called the day of the Arava, is that even if we don't have taste, which means we don't have Torah, and even if we don't have smell, we don't have mitzvahs, we don't have masim toivim, we don't have good deeds, Hashem still loves us. Hashem still loves us. It's a day that Hashem loves it's emphasizing on this day that the when the final process comes to an end, that Hashem loves us all unconditionally. And even if we are the Arava, Hashem still loves us. And Hashem Hashem still, um, still cares very deeply for all of us, for each and every one of us. That's the beauty and the greatness of the Arava. And that's why it's on this day that we take the Arava. And so whether it's a Jew who doesn't have a smell or taste, or whether we in our own lives, we all... We all four in our own lives. There are times when we have good deeds. There are times when we have Torah. There times when we have both and there times when we have neither. Even if we are at a time where we have neither and where we are, we are at a loss and we are uninspired and we've moved away, Hashem still loves us. Hashem still has a unconditional love for each and every one of us. And that's the point that we're emphasizing on Hoshana Rabbah is that even though the judgment's being closed, Hashem loves each and every one of us. We need to know that. And we need to remember that. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment.
0: This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxteen on 101.9 High FM.
1: In closing, closing, we're having a, a final discussion, a final about the incredible Beautiful Yom tov we are going through In Cholomeh Tzuchus We're discussing Hoshana Rabba Which is Thursday Night Friday The last day of Cholomeh The fifth day of Cholomeh And it's called The Day of the Arava That's what our Sages Teach us And the Chesfasim says It's the Arava Because this is the closing Of the judgment process And even if we are like the Arava And don't have Torah And Maasim Tovim Hashem still loves us And Hashem unconditionally Loves all of us and really it's a two-way street because on the one hand Hashem loves us and we take the Arava to symbolize that um, on this day, the final day of, of this process. But also we're indicating to Hashem that we want to be connected. We take the Arava. So if, you, if you're picking up the Arava, it means that you still want to connect to Hashem. Um, the the, the went to the of HaMikdash, went to the temple. So even if they were the Arava, they didn't have Torah, they didn't have Masim Tovim, they still were at the base of Mikdash And they still were wanting to connect to Hashem So just the desire Even if we're not feeling inspired Even if we don't have Torah Even if we don't have good deeds The desire to get close The desire to head towards The desire to connect Has a great significance and meaning And is very important that we all maintain that connection and That attachment to our Yiddishkeit And to our Hashem And to observing as much as we possibly can From the Torah And one last point I wanted to make also from the Swasemes, a beautiful Swasemes, again, that I heard from Rabbi Elephant. And that is, Swasemes says that there's another symbolism of the Araba. The Araba represents the lips. Now, uh, we, each of the Araba minim of the four species represent another part of the body. And they, we bring them all together and do a mitzvah with them to show that we use our entire body in the service of Hashem. We uh, use the great gift of our body and give back to Hashem to serve Hashem. Especially now with our pandemic, we appreciate our health and our bodies. And so the spine represents, uh, the, the lulav represents a spine, which is actually bringing in act- actualization the concepts of the Yomim Noraim. We bring them through the lulav, which represents the spine, and we're going to carry them out in action in our lives. The um, hadassim represent the eyes. The myrtle represents the eyes, the shape of the eyes, that we should see good things, have an eye in and be a, a positive in our outlook, see Hashem in the world. The uh, Lulav, the Etrog, represents the heart. We should have a good heart, a lady Shalem, a lady that's filled with love for Hashem and love for Klai Israel and love for truth and for doing mitzvahs. And finally we got the Aravas. The Aravas represent the mouth. And the Swasemes says the mouth, why the Aravas represent the mouth? Because if we we're at a door of Arava, the generation of the Arava. The Arava, as we said, there's no taste and there's no smell. It represents a Jew that has no Torah and has no Masim Toivim. Even if we live in a generation where Klai Yisrael is the generation of the Arava, which is certainly our generation, so we always have the pear. We always have the mouth. We always have the pathway of prayer. We always have the gates of prayer that are open to us. And even if we're feeling uninspired, and even if we acknowledge that unfortunately we don't have Torah and we don't have Masim Toivim, we always have the pear, we always have the mouth, and we can always turn to Hashem in prayer and open and our lips and and speak to Hashem. And so that's a very powerful lesson also on Asha, Shana Rabba. As the process is coming to a close, one of the most powerful weapons in the arsenal, spiritual arsenal of a Jew, is that of tefillah, is that of prayer. And we should never despair, even if we're an Araba, we can always cry out to Hashem and talk to Hashem. And Hashem is listening and Hashem is close and Hashem is responsive and attentive to our Tefillas and to our prayers. So those are some important thoughts for Hoshana Rabbah, which is coming up. And then straight after Hoshana Rabbah we have Shminyatseris. Once we understand that even though we're in a Rabbah Hashem loves us and we want to connect to Hashem and we have the power of the pair to connect to Hashem, so then we earn ourselves an extra day. That's shminyat says. Sheminiyat says, one more day. As the Midrash says, my separation from you is difficult. It's hard to separate. I want to stay one more day. The lingering of the one more day comes through the acknowledgement of the Arava, of Hashem's unconditional love, of our wanting to connect to Hashem and of the um, great power of tefillah that the mouth, the Arava, represents. So please go to Mitz Hashem. We should all... End the sukkahs with a great inspiration for the year, and having revived ourselves spiritually, recreated that relationship with Hashem. I enjoyed the closeness of Hashem in, uh, in the sukkah, and please God, understand Hashem's love for us is unconditional. And enjoy the last moments, the lingering on of Shmini Atzeres and the celebration of the Torah, Simchas Torah, which is on Saturday night and Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. Wishing everybody a good moed. And please God, a good yomtiv. Have a wonderful day.